This episode is brought to you by Dunnings, your local distributor of quality fuels and lubricants throughout Western Australia. Dunnings Fuel operate their fleet of trucks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Dunnings keeps the whole state running. Find out more at dunningsfuel.com.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Felicity Brown is a milliner whose work has been featured at New York Fashion Week not once, but three times. 20 years before the bright lights of the Big Apple called her name, Flick was working in a stock camp in the Northern Territory. In this episode, Flick reflects on her time working on cattle stations, even though it was never a part of her plan. Felicity, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Steph. It's been a long time since we've heard from you. You were episode two, way back in 2019. Feeling very privileged. Well, I'm very excited to have you back, and it is by popular demand from our listeners. In that first episode, you gave a summary of your life story and lessons learnt, but it was really way to go. Like it was, it kind of it covered a, a very long period of time. Yeah. The request has come back in is that, you know, very, it is actually one of our most listened to episodes ever and people loved it. But some people, I suppose, felt that we didn't get enough, uh, insight and enough stories from your days on the stations. Okay. So, cause you've done many things in your life and stations have been a part of that, but, but just one part of that. So, um, yeah, there was so much to fit into that episode and the people want to know more about your time. Out on stations. That's lovely. So is that something we yeah, could talk yeah, about absolutely. today? Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. Well, for people who haven't listened, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, press pause. Go back and listen to that one first. It's it's amazing. Why don't you – that story started off with you, that episode, with you going on this big journey. But for um, – just to remind us all, can you just tell us a little bit about your life before then? Before I left and, and headed around Australia, absolutely. So I'm from Ralston in New South Wales and I was born in, um, well, born in Mudgee Hospital. Uh, I am, yeah, our, our property is a sheep property for um, superfine merino wool and fat lamb and my family are still there. And I grew up on the farm um, and then went to boarding school in Sydney for the, my final two years, which 
was enough for me. <laughs> I did stay in Sydney for a bit after school, started nursing because we're all told you have to be a nurse or a teacher. So I started nursing, but that didn't, I didn't actually end up ever finishing that and either did a, a lot of people who embarked on the course the same time as me because it was the year that they started um, nursing as a diploma and halfway through the year decided the curriculum they were using wasn't working. So <laughs> 75% of the course left thinking we'll come back when they've got themselves organised and I never did come back. So from that little nursing beginning stint that didn't happen, I ended up nannying for sick kids in Sydney and then I ended up governessing 120 miles west of Burke back out bush. So that was my stint in Sydney done. Um, yeah, from Burke, I ended up in Dubbo. And yeah, that's pretty much where we started. Our last story is me leaving Dubbo. So I was working for the federal member of the Parks Electorate there, federal member of parliament. And I did, I was there, I think for, well, I was there for two election wins. And yeah, look, to be honest, Steph, it was a time in my life where everyone was getting married and I was like, I'm not ready for that. There's a whole big world out there. I just got to get in my little Subaru ute and go. So as you know, I did. It's very hard to picture you working in politics <laughs> and and for such a long period of time and at such a, you know, not, you know, at a federal level. That's a very serious you know, uh, profession. I was spending half my life in Canberra with the parliament sittings and the other half of my life in Dubbo. But, uh, let me tell you, it was still a great life when I was back home because it was BNS time. I think rarely did a weekend come and go without us being at a BNS. So really, really, really happy that I grew up in, um, Western New South Wales when I did. Because, gosh, we had a great life. So it sounds like you managed to find some balance between being in Canberra and then letting your hair down when you when you're not there. Yeah. And and look, let's face it, I was that person in Parliament House that was always lost. It's twenty seven kilometers worth of corridor. There was always someone going, Excuse me, madam, you're going the wrong way. This is a restricted <laughs> area. You should not be here. I tried to keep on the green carpet but kept ending up on the red carpet. Oh, and that is if that's not a sign of <laughs> things to come, that is there's definitely some <laughs> foreshadowing there. Can you talk me through the you know, six to 12 months of your life before you actually packed up and left and headed off on this trip? Yeah. What was going on? Well, as I mentioned, it was a time, and rightly so, we were at that age where a lot of friends were getting married and having babies and starting that journey. It was also a time, you know, when we were losing friends from different um, tragedies, be it sickness, a lot of accidents, and I think for whatever reason I did, I I lost a lot of mates early and the only sense I could ever make out of that was there was a message that I needed to get, which was life was, life's pretty short, life's pretty precious. And I was, as people were getting married and settling down, I was looking around myself just going, yeah, I look, it was time for me to go and um, I I just made that decision and it wasn't an easy decision, but it was an easy decision. I'd been saying for years when I go around Australia, when I go around Australia and it 
wasn't until a very great friend of mine, which I've spoken about this um, before, who he, he said to me, you're not going around Australia. He said, look at you, you've paid off your ute. You're happy here. You, you've settled in. You're not going anywhere. And I was it got, got my hackles up. I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm still going. And he was like, when? Because I'll throw your party. <laughs> Did he throw yes, your party? Yes, it was a three-day party. Everyone was happy to see me go. <laughs> yeah, so look, I think I always knew I was going to go, but I really did need a little bit of a kick up the butt because life was pretty comfy really when you think when I think back. It was fun, it was filled with lots of, you know, um we 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 had we worked hard and we played hard. We had a great life, fantastic friends, and yeah, you could see it was a very easy place to, to stay, but um I just knew I knew there was a there was a bigger world out there. And I'd started travelling overseas as well and was loving those adventures. And I just was I wasn't ready to settle down. So was it that conversation with your friend that was that specific turning point or was there something else that happened that made you really commit to going? Oh, look, um, I'm a girl and well, it's a 25-year-old girl and, of course, there'd been a breakup with a boy, so that always makes it easier to go. <laughs> uh, no, and in all honesty, I yeah, I, I was single at the time. Um, this gorgeous friend of mine was pressuring me going, when are you going, what date? And so I just, I just blurted out, Easter, okay, I'm going at Easter. And he was like, great. I'm having a party, you're going. And there was no turning back. And there was really, there was no reason to turn back either. And it was almost like the permission I needed to give myself. But I was, I don't know, maybe I was too, I just don't know why I hadn't left. So I, I do always still thank him for, for, for pushing me. And look, driving out of Dubbo, um, I, I did take a safety step from Dubbo, went back to Burke to um, the gorgeous family that I'd been governessing with. So it was still, it was still familiar and I wasn't really on the journey yet, but it wasn't until I left Burke and was driving towards Queensland that I was bawling my eyes out. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? Oh, I left everything. <laughs> I was just, and of course, Cross that border, which is a grid, and never looked back. Happiest I've ever been was that moment crossing the Queensland, New South Wales border into Queensland. Just frizzbird. It felt amazing. That moment where you're in your car crying, questioning <laughs> the choice that you've made and very much committed to, did that? happen again at some stage or was that kind of it and you got it out of your system yep. and then it was all and I knew it was right up. because hilariously um so as I was driving across from across the Queensland border from New South Wales James Blundell came on my tape deck <laughs> with a very appropriate song for the moment which was pretty much about crossing a grid into Queensland and so therefore look hello it was all meant to be yeah it was and from that moment there was it was I never looked back I never ever looked back and my friends were saying see you in two years and yeah uh, did they say two did they say 10 it's 26 now <laughs> and it was just you know I think sometimes we get little funny quirky signs 
that pop into our life and that, that was definitely one to let me know it was okay. You know, I was fine. And I don't remember being scared. I did camp out a lot. I was on my own. I was just swagging it for a lot of time because there's some big distances getting from, you know, one friend to the next. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, from, from that moment I got into Queensland, it was on. The journey was on. I'm just thinking for anyone listening how different it would be today if you wanted to, well, maybe not today, but a year ago if you wanted to leave New South Wales and head into Queensland. <laughs> wasn't as simple as just crossing your grid. No. When you left Burke, what was the actual plan? Like, did you have a destination in mind in Queensland? Or were I you did. Kind of I had some friends in, in Long Reach that I was actually going to visit. So that was great. And I, I pretty much always had someone to go to. Um, it just may have taken me several days or weeks to get to them, but I did always have a, a vague plan. And prior to leaving um, Dubbo, I had been a chief bridesmaid for a gorgeous couple who were living in the Northern Territory and I was heading up to catch up with them on the station. So I did, you know, there was a plan there. There was a plan there. I, I did have a plan, but I also love it was a really great time to just leave some of it up to the opportunities that just present, which of course they do always. So saying as this is what the listeners have requested, you just mentioned you were heading out to a cattle station. Let's talk about that. Oh, absolutely. That was, that was a lot of, I had actually been to that station before, so I knew where I was going, but just um, getting there and catching up with these friends of mine who had started their new life as a married couple, even though they were there before they were married, but they were married now. And, and that was all fun and great to see them and relive our, you know, excitement of the, the wedding that just was. And, and basically I was just catching up with them. My plan was to keep going. Um, and there was tuberculosis, um, was in the, on the station and they had to put together, the station had to put together very quickly a t- TB testing camp, which they, um, they did and their cook didn't get off the bus. So I got this, uh, <laughs> I had this request. Could I head out with the fellas on a stock camp for a day, maybe two until, um, the new cook got off the bus? So. I don't know. I guess I just kind of thought, well, if it helps them out, I knew how to cook. I'd cooked for shearers and cooked for, you know, my friends and had cooked all my life, I suppose. Wasn't scared of cooking, but I was, you know, thinking, okay, well, where's, where's my bed? Like, <laughs> and they said, you got a swag? I mean, yeah, 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 I got a swag. But I, and they said, look, if it's a bed you want, we'll, we'll even, th- we'll take a bed out there to camp. And I went, oh, Okay, that that's great. Stretch a bed, you know. So, uh, so I headed off with a very quickly put together random bunch of blokes. I was the only girl, and off we went with this rickety old van that was to be the kitchen, and it was randomly packed with very basic food <laughs> and. We kind of rolled out of the station and into the desert um, to, yeah, set up a stock camp. Uh, Of course, you can imagine we got there and everything had come apart in the 
in the van and I just remember peanut butter jars being splashed all over the place with honey and there was veggies and there was just everything all over the floor and all over. It was a disastrous beginnings of stock camp. Anyway, I thought this is the cook's problem really. But um, anyway, I got out there, kind of cleaned it all up and set up. We set up a camp. We built like tables and chairs pretty handy bunch of blokes and they they didn't all know each other either so it was a kind of a quirky time for everyone like was like hi all right we're off <laughs> and then it was a dry camp no booze so that wasn't in my plan of going around australia anyway doesn't do us any harm either <laughs> so we kind of um set up and awaited for the new cook and I waited. And, and I, when did she come? Never. <laughs> and when did you find that out? It was a few weeks into the silence that I realised, okay, I'm not actually continuing on any journey. I'm out here. <laughs> How far away do you think the stock camp was from the homestead? Oh, it was days. Like there was no way you could just get home. Um, and we, it was also very early days on stations. Like it, it was different days. We didn't have like communication. There was certainly no, no one even had mobiles. Um, there was no range if you did. And I don't, we didn't even have a sap phone. We didn't have anything. We were just kind of out there and hoped that someone remembered and bought us some stores every so often. We'd obviously got our own killer that would last us about 10 days. And that in itself is a story. Yeah. Well, that, I suppose this is the early nineties. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there, this, there would have been so much less than what we have to work with now. Yeah. No sat phones, no, um, I don't know, so many things. It would have been a very oh, I old get, school camp. It was a very old school camp, um, which, you know, it's not a bad thing when you look back. Um, but I do sit and listen to um, the stories from of people these days on stations and think, wow. And so I suppose once you were out there, how often did somebody from the station come out to the camp? Oh, not often. Oh, we, we'd get a, you know, there'd be a pilot. If we were, you know, mustering and needed a pilot, there'd be a helicopter pilot every now and then and there'd be a vet every now and then. There was a little stage where I think they felt sorry for me and so my friend did come out a couple of times <laughs> because she'd kind of like dobbed me into this scenario which had me, you know, living out there in the Territory Desert with a mob of blokes who didn't know and no one even knew each other but anyway of course you can imagine we became very very close friends all of us like a family so in those first few weeks every time a pilot or somebody came out to camp oh, I nearly, were you just anticipating them to I was also packing my bag I had say, my bag packed for every time I heard a chopper or saw a truck I was like oh here I am I'm off I'm off and the truck driver muddy was his name the truck driver going yeah no nah sorry mate nah there's no cook cook didn't come did was there ever a point where they said hey listen there's gonna be no cook can you do this or was the conversation just avoided yeah i don't remember that conversation (laughs) (laughs) let's just pretend it's never happened and if she doesn't say anything (laughs) we'll just keep rolling i remember just thinking you know how long am i gonna be out here for but yeah anyway i mean and 
I did embrace it with a pretty good attitude. It was a, it was a great experience and these opportunities just kind of flop before you every now and then and you've got to take them, haven't you? You know, it's part of the journey. It's part of my life. And there's people that I met because of this journey that, um, are very precious, you know, in my life and still in my life to this day. So it, it is pretty funny, but I mean, I was, you know, just talking about getting the killer, you know, the fellas got the killer and they had it quartered and just kind of hanging there. And and as they headed off to go mustering, they said, you'll be right to carve that up, Flick, you know, and, and, and galloped off. And there I was pre-sunrise just looking at these quarters of a beast like hanging there going, well, how's that going to fix itself? Like, how's that going to turn into packs of meat that sits in the freezer? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God, the crows, just like the sun started to rise and the crows started to come in. And I was like, oh, my God, these crows are going to start getting on this meat. And then I was like, oh, my God, I've got, I have seriously got to do something. And they were huge. And so I was like, got myself up underneath them and kind of carried them off the hooks and brought them <laughs> into the van and and I just kind of folded them into the box freezer and sat on it and just wanted a fairy to come and turn it into meat packs. Did you put a quartered so a, 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 a carcass a cow, a carcass of a cow that had been skinned and gutted for you know so you left with the meat and the bone and then cut into four pieces. Did you? Just put those four pieces into a deep freezer flick. It was just for, you know, till I worked out how I was going to deal with this situation. So I put them in there and then I wrote to my mum, wrote her a little letter just saying, you know, how it was and how I was waiting for that fairy to just pop in and (laughs) turn the quarters, the big quarters into lots of bags of meat. Anyway, so obviously I had to deal with it. And um, the fellas were gone for the entire day. There was no one coming back. There was no helicopter sound. There was no truck rolling in. There was just me. So what I I guess I do remember what I did and what I did was I sat back and I took a moment to think about myself as a little kid in the meat house with my dad who was cutting up a sheep. So, and I did, I used to sit with him all the time when he used to cut up a sheep. I used to think I was helping, clearly, you know, as every little Shirley girl does with her dad. <laughs> but, um, I did. I really sat and thought about what he did. And then I got each piece back out and I looked at it and I, and I remembered, you know, I remembered to cut across the grain, not along the grain. And I remembered some little tip bits that kind of popped into my mind from, you know, being a little girl with dad cutting up sheep and bit by bit I got through it all and the bits that I couldn't identify as what cut they might be, they became diced meat or mince. <laughs> you did so much better than I could have done and even today. And I did a, a an honours, um, my honours uh, research thesis in meat science and do not ask me, like, I would have just bu- literally butchered it. Like, no, I would have butchered it and it would have just been like, yeah, a stir fry meat and mince <laughs> and people. And I will tell you, I did become a bit of a meat Nazi 
and it was all about I needed the I needed my knives sharpened, I needed these cuts perfect and there was this kind of rule on stock camp that if you were feeling sick and you you know too sick to go out for the day's work that you would have to stay at camp and help flick make mints um or your or dice meat or cut steak and all the blokes would kind of go oh oh no I'm all right I could go to work I'll go <laughs> I was a bit of a Nazi. I was like, that's not good enough. So I have become very passionate about my cuts of meat. <laughs> so in that story, they they left you with the meat and they rode off. When was it all done by the time they oh, got yeah. home? Like they had pretty and, much. Unless they're listening to this now, would they maybe yeah, not know that happened? No, they, that's pretty much. There was a lot of I didn't understand, so I had it there for them to explain to me, for anyone to explain to me what those cuts might be or those bits might be. Um, and that's when they just said to me, um, if you can't identify it, just it's mince or diced meat. So I was like, okay, radio. Yeah. But what if you can't identify a T-bone or something? <laughs> like, <then laughs> you end up putting a, um, a cube roll through the mincer. Like, oh, that would look, be criminal. We worked it out and, and they, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, I'll probably make it sound a bit simpler than it really actually was. <laughs> But we got through it. I, yeah, I pretty much did the majority, had the majority of it there, but they, you know, did come back and help me with some final. Play. But anyway, yes, it did become a thing that I became quite, yeah, obsessed with was making sure that the meat was cut really well. And well, that if you're going to do something, you may as well do it properly. There was a little award that I won actually at the end of all of this. Um, which was for our stock camp being the only one that did not have any Baku rot. No one. <laughs> can, I to- can you explain what that is? Oh, yeah, that was a nasty kind of infection that would happen to people who got cuts if they hadn't had enough veggies. And yeah. I actually met somebody I, last year and there was a station, I know of at least one station last year where that went around. Yeah. They were calling it something else, but it was the same thing. And I was like, I didn't know. It's 2021. Like. <laughs> I used to sneak veggies in everywhere. I think my mum would have been quite proud of me, you know, because <laughs> I think that's what she did to me as growing up. <laughs> and so in this role, were you you stayed at camp during the day while the fellas were out? L- most of the time, yep. Yep, yep. So- sometimes I did go out um, or sometimes they were where we'd set up camp um, was where there were yards and so if they were bringing the cattle into the yards then – I was there and so, and I could, you know, help. Um, but I got myself into a pretty cool routine and, um, yeah, it was bacon. They used to head off with their muffins and there was always bickies and cakes and, yeah. And I always, um, tried to do a variety of meals that was never boring. And then look, if we remembered it was a Friday. We would, I would make pizzas and we'd have green cordial. We used to draw a big VB on it. We'd play cards till about ooh, seven or eight o'clock at night. We'd stay up really late. Wild, wild times. Did you find that lonely at the time? You know, you're a part of a team, but for most of the working time, yeah. you're actually on your own. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty good on my own. I did. I, w- I was always a, um, writing in a little journal. I was always, I was always taking photos. I had a camera. I would always, a little, I'd had a little black and white camera even as well. I had two cameras out with me, but just take some photos. I would draw. I would cook. 
Um, I would write and, you know, I'd potter around, making our camp a bit better. I actually painted a um, sign on the on the van, Greasy Flicks Diner, Flicks Greasy Diner. Hmm, what was it? <laughs> Which um, later in years, uh, I think it was in the, sometime in the 2000s, um, someone I knew in Broome had flown out to a station and found that actual van. Yeah, he took a photo that of it for me. That is so, so cool. The van still lives. Where, like, where did they see it? They saw it. I think they saw it in a territory or Kununurra station. Anyway, the, the, the if anyone out there has seen Flicks Greasy Diner, Greasy Flicks Diner, they'll know it. <laughs> that is. That's it was. Really I had a cool. little painted sign, so I just made. Look, do you know what? It was a pretty amazing experience. Just thinking, you even though you had planned to come on this trip and maybe maybe this part wasn't so much planned, but before you left, you'd been in a very high-level role in a very, um, you know, like elite, I suppose, in industry. I don't know. Most people probably wouldn't call politicians elite. But, <laughs> you know, certainly something that also had a very clear um, p- pathway and career progression and, you know, that kind of roadmap. Did you ever have moments when you were out there cooking going like, what am I doing? Like I've just left behind this career and, you know, at this age and everyone else is doing this and here I am cooking yeah, for a bunch nah, of Yeah, I was pretty excited. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was the journey. I was on the journey and this is what I'd always said I was going to do. And, and you know, the stock camp, um, whilst I did think it was only going to be like a two-day experience for the journey, <laughs> It turned into, well, it was the best part of a year. So, um, but it was a pretty amazing year and a very memorable year. And, and it's part of, yeah, it's part of my story. So, um, but it was, it was also, I guess it wasn't like I was from the land. So it wasn't something that was completely foreign to me. Um, but it was something that was almost, I did have to pinch myself to see if I was actually out there. You know, it was sometimes you'd wake up. Well, I used to wake up with the saucepan above me in the sky because that's what time I had to get up. Oh, the constellation. I thought <laughs> you meant an actual saucepan was hanging no, over where you were camped. The constellation. And, and I'd always look up and go, yeah, look at that. That's the saucepan. That's my reminder. I'm here and I would wake up and it was still dark and then I would walk past the head stockman and I'd kick him and say, you know, Time to get up and I'd go in and start cooking under, um, no lights and he would start the generator and start the campfire. We kind of had a little routine and, and, um, yeah, there was always that the one, one person, Reggie, who would come in first and say good morning. And I don't know, everyone, the fellows were really appreciative too. Like, I think the cook's a very important role for, not just the obvious reason that you're feeding people. Oh, you can make or break morale. Yeah. It's, um, nothing and- turns you sour like a shitty smoker. <laughs> <laughs> really ruin your day. Yeah, but we just really, it was, we had a really great crew and we all got along and, well, you know, to the, usually there's obviously a few scraps here and there between fellows, you know, because it, it but I think it would have been a lot worse if there was booze involved. <laughs> that is true. For a group of people who went out as complete strangers, you know, as you said, the team was pulled together relatively quickly. What was it like by the end of that? Ah, oh, well, experience? by the end, we were inseparable. Well, and, and also during 
our experience. We did have one pretty, you know, uh, one kind of incident in particular that won't leave us all for a while. There's, um, yeah, there's a few of us around who will know what I'm talking about. But we did have a situation that was potentially kind, quite, and we were in a bit of danger, perhaps, I would say. And, um, as the universe would have it and has it often in our lives, um, the person who I'd driven to the station to celebrate their wedding and, and stay with had, had come out, um, randomly come out to where we were. He didn't actually really know why he was coming. He said he was on a ball run and he just had this really bizarre feeling that he should check on us. And, and he did. And he kind of arrived at a pretty important time, actually, and diffused a, a situation that was potentially, who knows what might have happened. But, um, yeah, we were, we were calling him a bit of a hero for, well, forever. <laughs> um, and I think when you, when you experience something quite traumatic like that, together as as a group it definitely brings you together i mean the person in question who had basically lost their lost their stuff <laughs> lost their mind was was removed from the situation so um we we there we were we were this kind of slightly traumatized group of young australian men and women sitting in the middle of the territory desert just going whoa did that really just happen? And kind of I remember sitting around the campfire and all of us having a bit of a kind of whoa, whoa, whoa moment. And, you know, we, we, the, the next, um, we continued, we stayed, we made, we all made the decision there and then that we would stay and see through what we all were there to do. And it made us, and we were very determined to, you know, I think when you're on a station and you have several different, um, camps, there becomes a little bit of a competition on who's got the best camp. And we were always the camp that they always kind of laughed at and mocked because we were thrown together and we were so motley and we were just like people from here and there. And, and they really just grabbed anyone, like clearly. <laughs> there I was, one minute just visiting, next minute. Nick minute, I was cutting up a bloody beast. But, um, so we became very close, um, as a, we, we were a really tight, neat team and we, we just gunned it and we just made that, we finished that year and, um, in, and we did it well. You yeah, know, we, we to this day, there are pretty much, Nearly all of us that from that camp are in touch, and there's even some of there's a couple of fellas who are in my life like live in the same place as me. It's a beautiful story that, like you said, after a traumatic experience, it. I mean, I, I, there's so many ways things can go, but it brought you guys together. Yeah, and you not only finished out the year, but like you said, you're still in touch to this Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And, you know, there is moments when we all catch up that we all will just have a little bit of a hug and kind of look at each other and say, bloody hell, how about, you know, we just, 
uh, yeah, it is. It's one of those things that, well, yeah, I don't think any of us will forget it. But um, yeah, we were we're we're tighter for it. I think on stations or say in stock camps across Australia, teams they share experiences that you know, like that's you know unique, not necessarily unique, but you know, like. They'll go through, I don't know, let's say it's a bad day mustering or something, you know, they'll be able to catch up in years ago. Oh, remember the time that happened? Like you all take away these shared experiences, but what you guys went through was on a whole other level. So, yeah, I am. And it's something that no one else will really ever understand or no one else will probably really know. But we, yeah, we, it's, it's really comforting when I do see those fellas. I really do love it because, yeah, we did. We, you know, that's life. That is life and that's, um, you know, that was part of my story from stock camp days. But, you know, if I look back on stock camp, that's not the first thing I like to think about and it's, um, it's actually not the first thing I think about. You know, there's a lot of. So you said you all stuck around till the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Where did. did you, when you finally got to like, you know, come back, and I'm sure you'd been back to the homestead at some stage between starting and finishing, but at that time, you know, when they know the season's ended and you've all come back into the homestead, did you need to ask for permission to leave? <laughs> you know, had they locked the <laughs> gates on you by then? <laughs> it was pretty funny. And and when we were out on stock camp, we had this tally running the whole time we were there and it was in um, anticipation of when we finished. It was our spending money for that big blowout that we were always going to have. And um, so if you, you know, if you fell off your horse, that was 10 bucks. If you fell off your horse being a smart ass, that was 20. If you lost your saddle, that was a carton. You know, we had all these, if you fell down the stairs, like blokes would come back and we had the tally, I had the tally painted on the, on the van and they'd gallop back to dob in, you know, someone, put him up for a carton, you know. <laughs> So we had this tally and then we got to town and I uh, got to town. No, we didn't. We got to the station and of course you get back and you, you've got to unpack this kind of um, outfit and, um, and you've got to, you know, get everything kind of packed away. And we're all like looking at each other going, how are we going to make our escape? Like when, how are we going to go to town and spend, spend, and town really, I'm telling you now, it was this tiny little pub that <laughs> had three stools and, um, but we were all excited about how we were going to go. And do you know what? I remember and something I re- remember when, cause we were like, Oh, we can't, we can't like get all showered and ready to go because everyone will know that that's what we're doing. We have to. And I said, we can't go in all dirty. <laughs> I've been ha- dreaming of this day that I could have a shower <laughs> and get all pretty for the pub. But, um, no, we will. So we, we pretty much just like pretended we were somewhere on the station. Whereas really we'd all jumped into my little ute it was those days when it was okay to have people in the back. <laughs> and we'd gone to town. Well, we'd gone to the pub. And we just had this, oh, my God, we had this most amazing blowout. <laughs> There's stories for that. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. There's Janice Joplin. Uh, occasionally someone will will say play a song to me and go, hey, Flick, and I go, yep, yep, no, I'm not getting on the bar. I will not. <laughs> 
I'm going to note that one and file uh, it away for next time we have But I will say there were some really weird things um, that you had to deal with when you come back off stock camp, which I wasn't prepared for. And apart from the obvious, I hadn't sat on a toilet for a very long time. <gasps> <laughs> there was the fright that I got when I shut the bathroom door and there was a long mirror on the back of the door and I thought someone was in the bathroom <laughs> and I screamed because I didn't actually know who I was. I hadn't seen wow. myself. So that was really, really, really weird because we're just, I don't know, I never had a mirror. I never travelled with a mirror and we kind of all the side mirrors were knocked off the Toyota. I remember a couple of boats trying to like have a shave with the revision mirror and then just giving up because that was hard and they had to fight over it. We just didn't really – so I didn't see myself. And I think I really um, – it made me realise how much we notice ourselves. Like you walk past a mirror or you brush your teeth, you see a mirror or there's a window or your reflection or you do see yourself, but to not see yourself, <laughs> it was pretty – I did get a fright. I got a massive fright. I thought someone was in the bathroom with me for starters. And then because my hair was so long, um, I had this terrible V of sunburn. Oh, why didn't anyone make bandanas, beautiful bandanas? I look at these gorgeous girls now on stations just protecting their neck and their deck. <laughs> why didn't anyone tell us that? Um, but, yeah, I got a real fright when I saw myself. Um, yeah, it was I just, and because I used to tie, oh, I used to plait my hair all the time at the station because at the stock camp, because I had a little incident, um, when I was out there once where we weren't camped near a turkey's nest. So I couldn't like dive in that to have a bogey. (laughs) So I, we had a setup of a, um, a piece of poly pipe, um, that you could just start the generator. And just have it, um, start the pump and just. Were you showering in the overflow? Yeah, yeah, we were showering in the overflow. And anyway, the pump stopped and we'd, it had run out of fuel. So I bled it and like fueled it and blah, blah, blah. And, but what had happened is I'd taken my hair out of the plait to, um, when the, to have my shower and then the pump stopped and then I restarted it and some of my hair got caught in it when it started and it literally just scalped me. It just oh. pulled a big, yeah, I'll never forget it. So that really wasn't very – yeah, so I just had my hair constantly in plaits, but they'd grown and grown. Like yeah. it was 12 months basically. Well, it was way longer than that since I'd had a haircut. <laughs> but, yeah, that was quite – um that was quite confronting seeing yourself after uh, being out there That's for a so while. That's so bizarre. That's yeah. not what I would have – I guess it makes sense, but I, I wonder, you know, when I – was out in the stock camp. We camped out for six weeks at a time, but I think there would have been a little mirror. This is like 2008. So there would have been like a little mirror in the caravan or something. Oh, and had cameras then. So if you were taking a photo, as soon as you take it, you'd like, you know, yeah. crowd See, around the, I had the to dodgy s- old little cameras and have a look. And- I had to send my photos away and yeah. wait for like months um, to get them back. And that was so I would take a film of photos and then pop them in the little um, envelope and then when somebody came to the stock camp, I would say, can you please take my photos back to the – my 
envelope back to the station and then the station would send it in the mail and it would go to uh, Sydney or wherever it went to get processed and then it would come back to the station and then when someone was coming back out. So like, you know, three or four months later I would get this pack of photos. My God, that was the most exciting time of our lives and we would huddle around and, gee, if it was Friday night with our green cordial and and, and pizza and photos and I would always get doubles. I always ordered doubles so I would I'd give everyone a photo and, yeah, funny. Talk about delayed gratification. Like what a process to go through. I, I wish, and I think I've mentioned it a few times on other episodes, but I wish there was more opportunities and that that was more, not so much, I guess, opportunities, but that was more of a standard in like today's life, like that it would, there were some things that you just had no choice. Yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose there's certain things, um, I don't know, sometimes it feels like you got to wait forever for certain things, but yeah, for a lot of us, like the convenience, the instant gratification and just the in- instant Instance? No, yeah. in- instance. Well, no, I don't know how much everything is. It can be done in an instant. That's what I'm trying to get to. I uh, also have a master's in communications. <laughs> don't know how to use my words, but yeah, how everything is so instant. Um, yeah, I wish I wish there were things that we could because I I really feel for like the next generation coming through. I'm like, oh, you don't know what it means to wait. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's stock camp and, and it's an amazing memory and I'm forever thankful for that whole opportunity and how it all happened. And yeah, loved it really. So what was the next step after so, finally? Well, what happened is I had really struggled. I was struggling to get out of the territory because the territory is a pretty, um, amazing place that gets you. And so with some of my, you know, fabulous new brothers. <laughs> we um, convoyed back to New South Wales because we were from all over Australia, um, but there was three of us from New South Wales. So I actually did the pendulum and went back home um, with these fellas um, and they were, they were as, as the crow flies, we were all only about an hour and a half away from each other, which is hilarious. But um, so, yeah, went back home and then I – when I decided to go, I was still on my journey, don't you worry. There was, I'd just come home for Christmas. <laughs> just to keep mum happy, yeah, as many of us do. Yeah. And, and that was great. I had a great time at home. And then I took off around the other way. So I went down the bottom of Australia and, and made my way around to Perth because I had, um, the station, we, there were a lot of stock camps and a lot of station based people as well. And we'd all made great friends. And, and one of those friends lived in Perth and she said, if you ever get to Perth, you know, give me a call, which I did, of course. And there led me to the next kind of journey, which was up to Broome and the Kimberley. I had, I had organized a, job, I was heading to um, Fossil Downs out at um, Fitzroy Crossing to relieve the cook, the station cook for a three-month contract. So I did have a date that I needed to be in the Kimberley by and I kind of, that was, I think that was pretty much the only thing that I had organised. How did you find that job? Again, we're still talking the early to mid-90s. Yeah, that was through contacts and people, yeah, that, yeah. It's a very small world, like the rural industry, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a small world. Everybody knows everybody. And, you know, as soon as people hear that you're on this journey, um, 
and then, oh, well, you know, my friend needs someone, she, her cook's going for three months overseas for her son's wedding and, and they need someone, can you cook? And I was like, well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to cut that beast? <laughs> what I love about this, and I hope, I hope I've got the math right, but you, you're leaving from New South Wales knowing that you're going towards Fitzroy Crossing. I'm pretty sure it would have been a lot of a, a, a much shorter journey to go up and cut through the territory to get. I to- just was worried that I was not going to get. I know, out of and so I love that you took the long way around because <laughs> you're like, if I cross over into that territory, I I'm might not come not out the other side. Out. It really grabbed. It grabbed me. I loved it, and I love the Kimberley the same way. They, you know, they had the same kind of grab. So yeah, I, I did the whole big journey, and I was like, oh, what if I don't? Otherwise, I might not make it around Australia, so to speak. If I if I just go back to the territory. So yes, had this um great trip up the west um with with this go- with this gorgeous friend, and um we made our way to. Well, I didn't even really know where Broome. I don't think I'd ever heard of Broome to be honest, but I was coming here for 10 days and, oh, God, I love opportunities. So I was here for 10 days and then um, and the 10 days was because Emma, who I travelled with, was only here for 10 days. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just stay for 10 days as well and then I'll go somewhere else. Anyway, we were living with some friends of hers and we were having so much fun. Broom 1990s, let me tell you. It's a lot of fun. And... Um, these guys who I was living with, 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 um, who were friends of M's, they're like, well, you don't have to go. Why don't you just stay here? And I had five weeks until my role at Fossil Downs at Fitzroy Crossing started. And they said, just get a job for five weeks and quit and then just go to Fitzroy Crossing. And I went, I can't just quit. Can't get a job and just quit. Like, you can't do that. So what I did do is I got the phone book. <laughs> And I started ringing through the phone book um, and I got up to Broome Real Estate and they were like, oh, can you do this? And I went, yep, can you do this? Yep, this, 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 and yep, yep, yep. And they said, could you start right away? And I went, yeah. And they said, look, there's only one problem. Um, this position is actually replacing someone on maternity leave who then also the maternity leave replacement also fell pregnant, so it's actually only five weeks job. You're joking. No, I'm not joking. So this oh, I love the universe. You just gotta put it out there, haven't you? That is insane. Yeah. So I got the I got a five week job, which was amazing because I was able to just embrace that role, which I did. I loved it. And um yeah, so I had my little stint in real estate in Broome. Um, for five weeks with a really amazing team of people and then was able to finish with a oh, – I still remember the cake. Finish with a little party and head off to Fossil Downs. To the next to adventure. To the next adventure. So, yeah, it was great. And if uh, that name sounds familiar to anyone listening, aside from it being a very well-known station, oh, I've, I used to be able to – Say if somebody had been on the podcast, I'd be like, oh, such and such with this episode number. I, I cannot recall, but it wasn't that long ago. John Henwood, um, they were there for, gosh, yeah, like was, that's forever. For, yeah. yeah. So you, yeah, you would have, cause that family, yeah. it had been in the family for like 130 years by the time they sold it in 2015. So yeah, early to mid nineties, you were, yeah, working for the Henwoods. So yeah. you guys can go back and listen to John's episode, but, uh, 
And yeah. it was really funny because when I um, told my family my, that I was heading to Fossil Downs, my mum, my great auntie was like, um, you do realise that's where your great uncle was the head stockman? I was like, no. <laughs> and he'd written two books. Well, he'd, I think he'd written several books, but there were two books in particular that I had in my possession and they were books written by him and, and there's one of them's about his time on fossil and yeah so it was quite amazing to retrace some steps of uh, my great uncle and go to the same station that he was so that was quite a, a really amazing thing to do and are these books like in libraries or available to buy, do you think? Not to buy, but they are in libraries. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll get the details yeah. from you and we'll make sure we put um, the Absolutely. information in the show notes so people can Yeah, and on. I did get hold of my, my great aunt, he had, has passed away in the last couple of years, but before she did, I did get hold of a copy of each and gave it to the Hemwoods. That's so cool. Now, I know uh, something, you know, we heard in your first stories that, you know, you kind of came to Broome for a few weeks or a few months and, you know, 26 or more years later, you're still here. But there was, uh, you did actually leave and come back. So it wasn't, you didn't come to Fossil, like, you know, come to Fossil yeah. and then you have been here ever since. You did leave. Yeah, so and after Fossil I, I left. So yeah. I actually, um, I came back to Broome after Fossil. I had, oh, there's always a boy in the story, isn't there? <laughs> I love it. There's no boys in any of my stories ever. Uh, there was a boy in my story, uh, which we don't need to revisit, but from New South Wales, and he met me in Broome when I came, um, when I finished up out at Fis- at um, Fitzroy Crossing. And anyway, he, oh, yeah, he just didn't like, he wasn't happy with, you know, the, the fun that, and life, how much I was loving life in the Kimberley and all these beautiful new friends that I had. And, and he was like, quick, you know, getting in the car where, you know, you're not, you're not staying here. And I was, look, long story short, I kind of, I left with him. I did not want to go. Um, and yeah, I still remember people there the day I was leaving going, why are you going? You don't have to go. And, I don't know, you just kind of, it's one of those situations where you do question why you were so obedient to go, but. I mean, that's the beauty of hindsight though. Yeah. This, and this is, you know, well, we're what, 26 yeah. or more years down the track yeah. now at that point in time, you just. Yeah. And I, do you know, it's funny. I knew it wasn't right either. Like even when I was getting in, well, it was my ute actually. Thank God it was mine. Um, I even, love it. He's like, we're leaving. In your youth. Yeah. <laughs> Classy. That's exactly how it was. And, um, yeah, and, yeah, and it never felt right. But anyway, that I guess is, I guess, the next part of the story because we did, we made it, we went, went all the way back to the territory. <laughs> Dare I cross that border? And he wanted um, to get you as far away from here uh, as possible. Yeah. Went to the territory, went back to the station, um, that I'd been at before. And, um, anyway, look, literally about 20 Ks from the station, he dumped me. <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny when you look back on it because that's where he wanted to get to because he'd, he was setting so himself up. So you were basically his ride. <laughs> I was his lift there. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, girls, why do we do this? But anyway, look. So we get there and I think he just thought that the station would embrace him and I don't know what they, he thought they'd do with me. But anyway, of course, they kicked him off and said, what have, you know, get out of here. And they, um, yeah, gave me some little bit of nurturing, which is what I needed. And um, it was Melbourne Cup time, which, of course, anyone who knows me knows I love a bit of Melbourne Cup, <laughs> as we all do. And um, apart from, you know, flashing up everyone's headwear for the event, we had a Calcutta at that local little pub that we'd uh, had that celebration after stock camp at, they had a Calcutta in there and um, went, we went to the Calcutta. Anyway, long story short again, um, I won the Calcutta with another girl. We shared it and it was a substantial amount of money that we won and the bar owner looked at me and he said, I'm putting this in the safe. You're coming back here tomorrow to get it as you head off on your next journey. And it, yeah, another amazing thing that happened because, you know, as it turned out, um, which is just another one of those things, uh, I did find myself back there with all the money that I'd saved gone with our trip to get there. <laughs> That's another whole story. But, look, anyway, so I was literally in the middle of the territory um, with, you know, no money. So I won a substantial amount of money and the station owner said to me, this is, this is it, Flick. This is your, this is your little sign. It's time to get your next, get on your neck, get on the road. Just get to your next adventure. And she was so right. And like the days before I'd been so devastated. What'll I do? What'll I do? got no boyfriend, I've got no money. Like, I've got no – You know, when yeah, it rains, it and, pours, and I've just left all my friends behind I when did. I didn't really want to leave. leave. So I found myself in this kind of, yeah, really, oh. Anyway, she was right. It was my – that just appeared, that just happened, um, which was wonderful. And I got on the road and this this was one of those moments where you get to a T intersection, which I literally did at Three Ways, and I stopped the – car and and I just sat there going do I go left or do I go right and I don't know how long I sat there for because this was a life decision that I hadn't planned there was a bit of another plan had formulated over the last kind of year and and I wasn't on that plan anymore and and I was sitting at three ways going do I or the third way was to the pub (laughs) (laughs) and so of course I that's actually where I went to really decide where I was going to go. But, um, you know, it was, it was, do I go back to Western Australia and with my tail between my legs and feeling really stupid? Or do I head to Queensland and give that a go? Which is actually what I did. Did you pick going to Queensland? Well, first of all, for anybody who's not um, been to the Territory or familiar, so Three Ways is just north of Tennant Creek. And I guess, yeah, you can take the road east to Queensland or you can go uh, and then it just intersects with the Stuart Highways and go south down towards Alice, north up towards Darwin. And there is a pub. Yes, there is. Yeah. Even though it's only not that far out of Tennant Creek, you've got a whole town there, but we never say no to having uh, venues along the way. The choice to go to Queensland, do you think that was – 
born out of really just not wanting to go back and face people and, and you know, when they're yeah, already- probably. Yeah. I, or, I was going to say, was it that or was it more like, you know what, I'm, I'll just try something new. Well, and, and that, that's definitely part of it too. And I hadn't, you know, I had, I'd been to Queensland, um, but I hadn't stayed there long. So I was justifying things like that. I had rung, there was a girl from home, um, a girl from Ralston who was living there and I'd rung her and I could stay with her. So, um, you know, it was, it was, there was a plan. So I just did it. I went there, went to Cairns. Um, look, Cairns is a funny place for me. I just, Broom captured me within a nanosecond, but I just couldn't, I didn't get that same connection when I was in Cairns. I still had fun and I met some friends and I got, to, I did some, had some great jobs there. And I used to, on this journey, I always tried to alternate indoor jobs with outdoor jobs anyway to keep up those skills. Um, yeah. And was, Doing some, um, yeah, some indoor jobs in Queensland. Look, it was, it just didn't really happen. And to be honest, there was a station in WA that was ringing saying, there's a job here if you want to come back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, in the end, I just came back. I, that, that you just, it did so many miles. How long did you stay in, in Queensland for? I stayed for five months. So you, you gave it a good crack. I gave it though. a good crack. And when I was driving out, there was a cyclone driving with me and the, literally they closed the road that I was driving out on over the tablelands. And I remember looking in the revision mirror and the road was just, it was just, it was, it was impassable behind me and it was just passable in front of me. And I just didn't stop. I had my foot to the floor <laughs> and was just, I'm getting out of here. I think it must have been, I'm sure there were parts of the decision that were, maybe easy but also tough because like like I just said you yeah. you gave it a good crack and I don't know about you but I sometimes find it hard to differentiate like am I feeling this way am I wanting to go back to where I came from like is it because this is not working and it's not right for me or am I just wanting to go back to what I know and what's comfortable and you know, that's that side of things. So, you know, how, but I think it also sounds like you're trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole. Like, you know, like it wasn't, wasn't worth for it. you. And the other thing is, is I'm a massive believer that if the opportunity presents, then you should say yes. And, and this opportunity to come back to WA presented time after time after time. And so it was, I was asked several times. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say yes. And, you know, it, so I came back and I, yeah. Came and worked on the 80 mile. Yeah, so that's Mandora Station. It is and Mandora. our longtime listeners would have heard the name Mandora many times. We've had, uh, I think three or four episodes of people that currently are on and own Mandora on the show. And we have also often spoken about a family in the Pilbara, the DePledges and how much we love them. We had Christy DePledge on a while ago. She oh, she's amazing. married in, um, to the family and the de- you are I mean you basically they are a de- are pledge. my family. Like, I you, love yeah. them so much. Yeah. You're like Felicity Brown de- pledge. <laughs> like you've got that hyphenated name. They are. They're they're very special people. So yeah, so it's lovely. It was really great. So you found yourself back on the land and in your first episode, so number two on this podcast, I remember you telling a very funny story 
Joe to pledge will love this. Big Joe. So I used to get in trouble a lot at Mandora because I just love shells. Like, and Mandora Station is on the coast. Now for me, from a New South, for a New South Welsh, Welsh girl to, the concept of a cattle station on the coast is like mind blowing. And Mandora is that. And it was, there were shells. There were shells. Shells, so it's a station that has shells. So it was, every time, cha- every time we were mustering near the um, near the coast, I would sneak a little like the post pack up underneath my shirt. And when I thought no one was looking and it was safe, I would like park my bike and run over the dunes and collect shells and shove them in the post pack and shove them under my shirt. But I would get back and and my walkie talkie was going off with Big Joe telling me to get back on my bike and stop collecting. Shells. I love that instead of being like beep or whatever, you just did the silence. <laughs> I was always in trouble. Yeah, I was always in trouble. So were you there? Was was that job then? Um, so you'd had two stints now on stations as a cook. Was- oh, so this no, this was um, this was a bit of everything, which was um, yeah. So this was working with on like mustering and and um, actually not really much cooking because Jane was there. She's she's the cook. Yeah. Mum. Um, but I used to do the weather. Now that there, was- there is, you can look up the the Mandora yep. on Bomb. They've got one of those little weather They've stations. Got the, they were, had to learn how to read the weather, which was – and that was funny because when you would cook – the weather times were our smoko, our meal times. So you would do the weather at 9 a.m. So you'd – cook smoko and then go and do the weather and come back for your smoko. It's all gone. <laughs> Make lunch, go do the weather, come back from the weather. It was all gone. <laughs> uh, wasn't oh. it? No, it was, it was, yeah, so it was the weather, it was a bit of domestic, bit of uh, mustering, bit of – I'm not a horse girl though. Oh, my God, the Mandora mob will tell you that. <laughs> I'm a motorbike girl. I have different skills. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think they got me on a horse twice. How long did you end up staying at Mandora for? For the season. Yeah. Yeah, so it was great. And then from Mandora, I ended up back in Broome and, like, we all know, haven't left since really. So by this stage you would have been 26 or 27. What was – how how did you feel about, you know, you, you set off at the beginning with this intention of going on this big adventure and bloody hell, you definitely had one. Uh, you know, and certainly a roller coaster at times. So when you were coming to the end of the season at Mandora, and I'm not sure about there, but for, for many places the work is seasonal, so you know there's going to be an end date. Like it's not like yep. a regular full-time job where you just are there yep. until you die or quit. <laughs> um, what did you think coming towards the end of that time at Mandora? Were you thinking – the adventure, like I need to keep going to another spot, oh, uh, the adventure continues or is it I've, I've had enough, I'm ready to kind of settle down now and, you know, I've got that out of my system. Like what What was your I was space? exhausted. I actually remember being exhausted. Physically or yeah, mentally? Physically, mentally. I was pretty knackered by then. But physically, I think, you know, it was – I was. I remember Broome was my respite. But, yeah, so anyway, I got a house in Broome and I was able to set up a house, a room, in a house and 
it was a base for me to then um, go and work with a pearling company, which had a swing of 10 days on, four days off. So I, ha- I lived in Broome, I had 10 days at sea, and then I had four days back in Broome, and that's just another whole fantastic oh, story. Oh, there's, there's so many episodes we could do with you. I suppose that sort of um, – brings you though to the end of your time working on stations, on stations yeah. but certainly not your involvement with them like uh, I'll never I it's 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 an industry that is so special to me and so close to my heart and I just love all the people that I've met because of my um experiences on stations and and I just the 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 whole community itself the whole industry is a community it is a big family really and I hope I will always be part of that big family because I definitely still feel nurtured by them it is it's and just the opportunities that present and I think that's something that I just feel really um and uh endeared but I also I just this is what I've just loved about this journey that I set off on is that I, even though I had some structure to it, the structure was minimal because I just wanted to let the opportunities present and just embrace them and see where it ended because every single experience that I've lived and had because I jumped in that little ute and drove off, it's, it all, it all forms part of where you are now and, and who I am now. And, you know, I feel really sad for people who just don't say yes to opportunities and, and don't see it as an opportunity. Perhaps sometimes, sometimes people see things differently. And I think if you always have a look at what presents to you, you know, why is this happening? You'll, you'll pretty much find out there's a, there's a damn good reason why it's happening. And, yeah, you've just got to take life and live every moment of it and just do it. Have a go at it. Looking back on your life so far, what would you say is the takeaway lesson? Oh, that what would you tell me? To always to say yes to opportunities to when they present, to be open to opportunities when they present, to live life to the full, to um, appreciate everything and everyone in it, to be kind, <laughs> always be kind, and to just really uh, live every day, appreciate the fact that you're here and, and embrace it and just do it, just do it and love it. 